Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. What is the history of metal and horror? Let's find out. I think what makes effective horror is that it registers the anxiety of the humans that are watching it. That's what horror does best. My favorites by far, if anybody knows me, it's the Universal Monsters. That's my whole life. My mom took me to see the original Jaws when I was really young, and it scarred me for life. The first VHS tape I ever had I had was Dawn of the Dead, and I just let it play over and over all day long. I must have watched it thousands of times. The movie that affected me the most was Salem's Lot. Hellraiser's another massive great film, and I remember watching that for the first time and being totally blown away with it. It's human, it's not human, and then there's this little matter of having a whole bunch of nails banged into your head. Sounds like a crazy idea. The groovy ghoulies were on. I was obsessed with that show. It didn't seem that different to me, the Bugs Bunny, the, the Frankenstein. Like, it really was a natural kind of thing. Of course, like most kids, I was watching cartoons on Saturdays, but I was also watching horror movies. Captain Spaulding triggered the rebellious nature of people, and that is kind of the attitude that goes along with metal and horror. Black Sabbath was a Boris Karloff film, right? You know, that's where they got the name from the film, and they combined it with heavy music, and that's how heavy metal was born. You had people on one hand doing horror music, and you had people on the other hand doing horror film, and then somewhere in the middle where these two circles crossed, you had a hybrid. I used the music, a lot of metal music, for listening to in between violent scenes. It just helps my energy. I still get goosebumps when the skeleton comes up and starts saying, do you want a party? It was like, okay, now chaos is gonna ensue. For years and years, I've been a fan of Metallica. I just think they're awesome. I know there, there are people out there who love horror. I know there are people who love heavy metal. And I know there are people who love both. I'm reaching out to those people and saying, hey man, I'm into it too, and I got a lot of cool stuff. You can just come over and check it out. Horror and, and, and metal really became co-defendants in the satanic panic scandal. Rock and roll is the devil, and horror is the devil too, so it's perfectly natural. Metal and horror, a perfect match. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Pekovic, and this is episode number 433. A movie currently on the festival circuit is The History of Metal and Horror, a documentary that delves into two succinctly dark and rebellious forms of art and how they often converged throughout the decades. Featuring interviews with the likes of Kirk Hammett from Metallica, horror filmmaker John Carpenter, the legendary Alice Cooper, and many more. The history of metal and horror also marks the feature film directorial debut of Mike Schiff, who I'm glad to say joins me now on the podcast. Mike, how are you doing? 
Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for people to check out information about the history of metal and horror, I really check um, recommend going to metalhorror.com. Uh, that's the official website. And also go to their Facebook page too. So they, that is at the Metal Horror. Um, really good Facebook page, which I was saying to you, Mike, off air, you know, not a, lot of, not a lot of indie filmmakers take care of their socials. So I think it's a really important uh, factor in getting your word out there. And you guys update that um, Facebook all the time. So for people who want to check out which festivals uh, are nearby that might be screening the film or hopefully when a release date comes out as well, distribution, et cetera, that's the best place to go about it. Um, so I'm sure you've heard this before, Mike, metal and horror. You know, for me, these are my two favorite things you know I, i've i'm a big time metalhead i'm a big time horror fan you know i always thought that there was like a kinship between the two it just there's it taps into kind of like similar themes the visual element is similar as well but i'm really surprised that no one has really kind of delved into the kind of like this kind of like this the whole kind of collaborative aspect between the two how did you kind of come about to with the idea of of something that was just so dead but no one wanted to just tap into it yet how do you kind of think about you know what i think it's about time someone put this together yeah so it was in uh, 2014 i attended kirk hammett's fear festival convention in california and so he wanted to put on a show that was a combination of his two favorite genres of uh of art you know which is heavy metal and horror so he put on a uh, weekend-long convention that uh, consisted of you know a lot of his own personal collection his horror convention uh, collection uh, he brought together artists, you know, celebrities from both the heavy metal and horror world into one place. And then after the weekend, I realized that there hadn't really been a documentary made on why there is this connection between heavy metal and horror, which is, you know, pretty obvious to to many of us, but no one really made a film about it. So uh, I decided that with the context that I had, with the context that my producer and friend Robert Lucas had, we were able to start getting some interviews together and kind of built it along the way. So here we are, you know, it took about six and a half years of production and uh, finally came together. So that's basically how the idea came about. After between yourself and your producer, Robert, who took care of the metal side of it? Who took care of the horror side of it? Um, it, it wasn't uh, one or the other. It was just, you know, my friend Rob had a lot of, a uh, lot of friends in the horror world, especially. Right. Um, so he, he really introduced me to a lot of these people. So, you know, he's, he's good friends with Bill Mosley and Doug Bradley and Tom Savini and all these guys. So over the years, I had become friendly with them. So it was a lot easier to get them involved in the film because they already knew me, they trusted me, and we had a good um, uh, rapport with each other. With uh, a lot of the other ones, you know, maybe, um, you know, Alice Cooper, Dave Mustaine, guys like that. Uh, a lot of that was just, you know, kind of knowing people who knew people, you know, so I'm, I'm uh, pretty close with, um, uh, with, uh, uh, you know, Jose Mangan from uh, Sirius XM. And uh, of course, you know, he's like, you know, well connected with with everything that is heavy metal. So I've known him for years. He was able to hook me up with guys like Dave Mustaine and and others. So a lot of it was that. And, and for some of the other ones, it was just reaching out to the artist management yeah. directly, uh, not having any previous connection to anyone, but just saying, hey, you know, I'd like to interview so-and-so for my film that I'm doing. Um, here's who I have involved so far. And then Sometimes it would work out where the management would hook it up and, and make the interview happen. And other times it just wasn't good timing or there wasn't, um, you know, a lot of other things might have happened. Someone might have been ill for a while and wasn't, weren't available. So uh, so one, one thing I always say to people who wonder 
why, you know, so-and-so wasn't in the film. Chances are, if there's someone you have in mind that you feel should be in the movie, chances are I did try to get them and it didn't work mm. out. Mm. So, because <laughs> that, that's always a question of, hey, how come you didn't have King Diamond in there? Or how come you didn't have Ozzy in there? Well, you know, <laughs> I've, I've tried and, and for whatever reason, the timing didn't work out for a lot of people. But um, but anyways, that's kind of a, a long answer to the question. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, just that's just kind of how it all came about as far as the metal and horror people. So you mentioned before the whole Kirk Hammett kind of exhibition that he had with his, she shows off this impressive collection that he's had over the years. It seems to me the impression that I got when watching that documentary was that the heavy metal musicians were just such big fans of horror, the horror genre, and it really does influence a lot of visual themes that they have for the music and then lyrical content, et cetera. But when you look at the flip side of it, people who work in horror, for example, um, it, it doesn't really feel like that many of them would be listening to Slayer in their off time. You know what I mean? I wouldn't yeah. be surprised, in fact, if maybe, you know, uh, John Carpenter probably listens to more, you know, like Echo and the Bunnymen <laughs> than he would Pantera, right? Probably, Even though he, yeah. is, he is a more of a rather, he, he does incorporate quite a bit of heavy, heavy music in his work. Is that something that you, you, you found rather quickly as well, that the fanaticism is wasn't as equal for one another's different perspective genres from, from both sides. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, w- when we're talking about the uh, a lot of the horror stars, you know, most of them are of a different generation, you know, yeah. as as opposed to a lot of the the metal stars who some of them, you know, like the guys from Avatar are, you know, they're millennials, I guess, or uh, you know, they're they're sort of the newer generation. Uh, whereas you know, you have John Carpenter, Tom Savini, a lot of these guys are. You know, they're old school. They didn't listen to the metal that just really became popular in the 80s. You know, they were listening to a lot of stuff prior to that, 60s, yeah. 70s. So, you know, maybe they got into Zeppelin and, and other bands like that. But as far as the more modern metal, they just didn't, you know, just wasn't their thing. So uh, so while they're not necessarily fans of the music, I think they respect it enough, you know, certainly enough to be part of this film, uh, to discuss it and discuss the connection, uh, because they have even though they're not really fans of the genre uh, per se, they have developed relationships with a lot of the metal artists themselves over the years yeah. uh, because the metal artists are fans of these guys. So they'll, they'll go to the conventions and say, you know, maybe uh, Wednesday 13 or someone might go to be at a convention with, with Savini or Bill Mosley or whoever and say, Hey, you know, I'm just a really big fan of yours for many years. And, and after seeing each other, you know, year after year at conventions, then they become friends. So the, in that sense, there is a sort of a connection uh, with the two, um, even though like one might be a fan of the other's work and not so much the other way around, but that's definitely uh, that's definitely pretty common. So it, it's it was pretty uh, it happened fairly often where one of the horror artists would say, you know, I'm not really a fan of metal. I don't really have much to say about it. So I'd, I'd mostly focus on their career, what their influence on the genre was, and what sort of connection they've seen throughout the years. You know, what's really interesting about your film, the the history of metal and horror, uh, as opposed to other documentaries that get set my way, and I get so many of them as well, is that you have kind of like a like a um, almost like a film narrative aspect in the movie. It's kind of like a movie within the movie, uh, yeah. which is really interesting to me. It kind of begins, and I, I was watching it. I was like, did I click on the right <laughs> link here? I wasn't. What's going on? Um, it, it begins with kind of like this post-apocalyptic world. You got this lone survivor. 
he finds like this kick-ass guitar. He finds like it looks like kind of like an eight-track kind of taped, but they're really not the puppy some type of you know. Anyway, um, it shows the history of the world and he's watching the whole thing about history of metal and horror. So he's watching the documentary along with us. Um, really interesting kind of way, really interesting concept to kind of like bring this information to the fore. How did that idea come about? Because I thought it was really well done. And you have a really good jump scare in there as well, by the way. Um, uh, I don't want to tell anyone what it is because, of course, <laughs> it's a surprise, but the really good jump scare in there as well. Thanks. Uh, I knew from the start that I didn't want to make just a, you know, a, a very standard form documentary, which, you know, most documentaries for the most part are, you know, it's just uh, interviews and B-roll and transitions. Maybe there's, you know, some kind of a host who's kind of guiding the audience through it, but I wanted to do something a little bit different. Uh, so I wanted to do a short film that would serve as a uh, sort of a segment, you know, introduction uh, along the way so that it wasn't just graphic transitions or just a host off screen saying, okay, now we're going into this. And I wanted it to actually be a film that would sort of uh, key also keep the attention of the audience. Like, all right, where is the story going? You know, how, how is it going to progress along with the documentary? How's it going to end? So I wanted to have something that would uh, sort of bookend it that, that way, but also kind of keep things a little bit more interesting and, and just try to do something different. Also, you know, ultimately I want to, write and direct feature films. So this is also an opportunity to do a, uh, you know, a short film that I can kind of incorporate into the overall project. So it was, it was kind of more fun for me in that sense, you know, knowing that I wasn't just doing sort of a standard formula. I was doing something a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more wild in that sense. You have the great Michael Berryman um, in a movie. He's kind of like the, the the guide of the film, kind of like he's a, he's a person, uh, he's a narrator, he's kind of like uh, all, all sorts of different aspects. And how did he kind of get involved in that, in everything, uh, metal and horror? Uh, so I was trying to figure out who would be a good host for it. And, um, you know, I was kind of brainstorming. I was talking to friends. And, uh, and so my friends... Um, uh, Eben McGar from the uh, Mad Monster Conventions and James Balsamo, who's also a filmmaker, uh, they've worked with him before. So they said, you know, what about Michael Berryman? I was like, that's the guy. That's the guy mm -hmm. I want to get. Yeah. So uh, so they put me in touch with his management. I reached out and uh, it was pretty straightforward. There wasn't, weren't a lot of hoops to jump through and um, we made it happen. So he, he flew down to my friend Rob's studio in Burbank in California and in maybe half a day, if that, we filmed all his stuff on a green screen and all the rest of the stuff for the for the short film I shot in New York. So I shot all this stuff here in New York and then I flew out to Burbank to get all the Michael Berman stuff. Then I brought that back home and put it all together. But uh, but yeah, he was he was very easy to work with. Very interesting guy. And of course, also a legend in, in, in the business. I mean, he's been around, you know, forever. And, yeah. uh, and, and even if you're not really familiar with his films, you you know the face. You know he he, uh, Absolutely. he has very unique looks. So everyone, you know, once you see him, it's like, oh yeah, I recognize that guy. And, yeah. and of course, as a horror fan, like you know, that's Michael Berryman, you know, legend in the business. Yeah. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by 80s Tees. 80s Tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, comic books, and musicians. Celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate. Founded in 2012, Loot Crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes. 
Loot and Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences in digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by TeePublic. TeePublic is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, TeePublic is sure to have something you will love. You know, it's really interesting how in the, the movie, in your documentary, there is a person watching the TV screen learning about, you know, horror movies. And what I found really interesting about, especially when you're speaking to like the heavy metal musicians, a lot of them were introduced to the concept of horror or horror movies through TV. Um, not only were there TV serials like, like Twilight Zone back then, but they were like these kind of crazy kind of like 6 p.m. Uh, variety show type kind of things where it'll be a host and he'll introduce a movie, kind of like maybe an obscure kind of thing. And, and a lot of these like different artists, like depending on where they are geographically around America, they'll have their own version of that in the state that they're in. Because I think it might have been a lot of kind of community TV that they might have been watching. Is that something that you can you found as well? That a lot of them were introduced to cinema through TV, which is kind of weird because it's almost kind of pathetic in a way that a lot of people are watching movies today, right? They're watching it through small screens. Yeah, for sure. And because, um, you know, it, it takes a little bit of time and effort to take the kids out to the movies, you know, out to the theaters and stuff. So that's something that's not necessarily something that most families would do on a regular basis. So, you know, so you get out, you, especially if it's on Sunday, you know, a lot of Sundays were, were big days for a lot of these programs. So that's when I used to watch. And so, you know, parents, they're tired. They just want to take the Sunday off. So what do the kids do? The kids sit around, they, you know, maybe watch some TV. And uh, they flip through channels and then they, you know, come across the, the horror programs, which, of course, we all loved. So that was a very easy way to just get a lot of, you know, a lot of films, um, you know, uh, into your, your data bank of a mind. So and that could be a weekly thing, you know, so it's like a regular thing that doesn't really cost anything. It's in your own home. You just turn on the TV and there you go. You, know, you just got a whole bunch of horror movies every week so it's a it's a very easy easy way to get it so and especially people who just you know didn't have the resources or whatever to just go out to the movies and see all the new stuff constantly it was just there for for everybody so uh that was definitely that was definitely very you know a a popular thing amongst a lot of the people in the film let's talk about some of the people that you interviewed in this movie um we'll start with kind of like the the person kind of like started the whole thing which is um kirk hammett He's such an interesting guy because he's kind of like almost like the quiet man in Metallica because, of course, you know, for people who know the band, uh, James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich are kind of like the mouthpieces of the band. Um, you know, the thing about him that I find really interesting is that the more docu- documentaries I watch where he's involved in it, he just comes across as a really kind of cool dude who's got like a, just so such great interest, kind of interest in the horror thing, especially like you see him when he's on stage. He's got guitars that kind of like have designs of like classic monster people on on his guitars and such. Um, you mentioned before this collection. How much of the collection did you see? Was it did you only see what was in exhibition um, uh, in New York at that time, or did you actually get to see more of it as you got to interview him? Because supposedly his collection of stuff is just incredible. Yeah, no, I mean he has a massive collection. I only saw part of it, um, and uh, it even guys like Ron Chaney Jr. and and others who attended the convention said that even though they've known him for years, they've only seen a fraction of it. 
Uh, you know, I think that at his home and his warehouse, wherever he keeps everything, like that's, I don't know how many people have really seen everything, but he took what he felt the fans would really be into and he packed them all into trucks, loaded them, loaded them down to the convention, put them on display everywhere throughout the whole place. And uh, I saw a fair amount. So I definitely, you know, we saw a lot that he had on display. I think he had another um, event maybe in, uh, geez, I don't know, it was further up north, maybe even Canada. I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, some years back where he put on another, another event, which I didn't attend. But uh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure whatever he had at his convention was just a portion of his, his overall collection. I'm sure it's much more massive. He's just uh, you know, a major, major collector and has been for many years. So uh, when you have the space and, and, and the, uh, you know, the finances <laughs> to support that kind of a, a hobby, then you can definitely you know, build a very impressive collection. Absolutely. I mean, that, that black album alone, I'm sure that paid for half of the stuff that he has uh, yeah. <laughs> in storage. Um, I'm pretty another, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another person he interviewed as well was Alice Cooper, and he's just such a fascinating man to me. It comes back to like the whole Wayne's World aspect of, of his personality, mm-hmm. which is, you know, uh, the king of shock rock, the man who, you know, brought to the fore a lot of these kind of elements the first time. And then behind the scenes, he can't, he's just a, such a uh, personable and an intelligent man. And on top of all of that, he's spiritual uh, uh, upbringing, his, his current religious kind of like um, uh, status. He's a, he's a Christian as well. People don't know this. He's yep. a Christian as well. And and he speaks about in a film about how he and Marilyn Manson, like uh, many times, will have debates about, you know, their different, you know, uh, ideal, uh, theological, you know, kind of like a, a, a clashing of, of theology. Um, what was he like to interview? Because he's a guy that I would love to, to sit down and talk to because he just comes across, number one, not only as a, just a really cool guy, but someone who's really kind of knowledgeable because, you know, you say what you want about people like Marilyn Manson or whoever, when they came out, like in the 90s or, or whenever, they had two decades of stuff before them to kind of break the ice with the public about what type of what can be deemed acceptable. When Alice mm-hmm. Cooper came out, like in the late 60s, early 70s, no one was doing what he was doing. He was taking fresh floors for everyone back in the time. So what was it like uh, interviewing him and, and getting his kind of wisdom and perspective on just uh, the, the, the themes that you're tackling in your movie? He was, he was awesome because, I mean, he... Uh of course, he's one of the originators. You know, he's, he's one of the uh, uh, the guys who started this whole thing of incorporating horror into 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 rock music. And um, I mean, so many other artists just followed in his footsteps along along the way, and they all have so much respect for him and, and what he's done. And, and uh, I mean, he's still out there. He's still out there touring just as much as he ever ever did. And I think what was most impressive about him was just the fact that he was so humble. And uh, and just so generous with his time, you know. Sometimes you expect someone of, of his uh, caliber to just be, if anything, if he's you know willing to to give you any of his time for an interview, they might just be like, okay, I got ten minutes, then I got to go, you know. So so let's make it quick. But he was just so cool, so relaxed. We filmed his interview at his restaurant, uh, Cooperstown, and uh, and I think he ordered some food, you know, probably earlier on. Uh, when we started the interview and I think the food was probably sitting there for maybe at least half an hour, mm. <laughs> you know, just getting cold. And there was just no rush on his part. He was, you know, like he was bringing food back to the family or whatever. Uh, but there was no rush. There was no like, Oh, the food's here. Okay. Let's see the last question. We got to go. It was just, you know, just let us sit there and he finished the interview. Let it, let us get all, all the questions. Um, 
and uh, and time for for more if we wanted to. But I think we probably sat down with him maybe close to an hour, and um, he was so so interesting, so knowledgeable, and just such a friendly guy. You know, such a, a very kind soul. Uh, so that was that was very impressive. And he's definitely uh, someone I admire uh, tremendously. You know, uh, just not just for what he's created artistically, but just for being such a good person. You know, which which. You know, sometimes can be hard to find, but uh, but he really has a reputation of being just one of the kindest people in the industry. Now, the interesting thing about, you know, him is that, as I mentioned before, he kind of like took a lot of the bullets in regards to the controversy uh, of, of what he does, the kind of like the mergings of like the theatrical horror elements to his music and his music himself. He was doing kind of like that whole kind of androgynous thing even before David Bowie was around to do it as well. Um, and it kind of goes back to kind of like the controversial nature of horror and heavy metal because they delve into themes and, and, and uh, like mortality and religion and and all sorts of different kind of stuff um, that a lot of people tend not to want to um, uh, you know dive into when it comes to their pop culture or entertainment. And I think it, it says something about the 1980s as a decade that both of these genres really flourished in that time. There's something about that decade. Um, where it kind of, you know, everything just kind of like came to the fore and people were taking risks and there was like advances in, you know, uh, makeup technology and horror, for example, where they, you know, they can do things on screen. And when it comes to the the heavy man musicians, there's an evolution there as well. Do you think, you know, the kind of like the two, these two kind of genres coming together um, kind of feeding off each other in the 80s. Do you think it only could be done in that decade? Could it, could you foresee it happening again today? Because I don't know about you, there's something about that decade, especially in the 80s, especially with the advancements of um, VHS and, and all these other stuff as well, that it just it was the perfect conditions for these two genres, especially, to kind of flourish. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was just it was just a perfect storm, I think, in the 80s. I think... Um, Certainly, with with film, uh, you know, film got got easier to produce. It um, you got uh, you know much greater advances in special effects, of course. So you were able to create a lot more stuff. You know, whereas you know there there were maybe a few more limitations prior to the eighties. Um, you could only kind of like dream about things that you really wanted to do. But then once you got into the eighties and you had all these new advancements and these new uh, special effects artists who were just uh, innovators. Um, then horror just really, really exploded, and and then of course when you make one film, another filmmaker gets the idea, and then say, oh, you know that that kind of inspired me to do this, and then you have a lot of different people bouncing off of each other. I think metal kind of worked the same way, also, mm-hmm. but everything sort of has an evolution. I mean, you know, metal, you know, goes back to the blues, you know, and without the blues, you wouldn't have had rock and then metal. So everything has to have sort of an origin. Um, and that's sort of the origin of, of, of metal. So it, so it needed that time to sort of evolve and develop. And it just, it seems like horror and metal just kind of, uh, you know, really uh, ramped, ramped up a lot at the same time. And uh, I don't, you know, maybe it's coincidental. I don't, I don't know, but it was just, uh, and, I, and I think that just took a lot of parents, you know, by surprise. So it was just like coming from both ends. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, here's this horror stuff. That's really, uh, you know, uh, our kids are, are really into, but also here's metal. So what do we do? So a lot of uh, a lot of people were kind of freaking out about these these two genres that were very popular at the same time. And of course, if you're a fan, uh, 
you know, of one, you're probably more likely than not a fan of the other. So now like you're buying metal music, you're buying horror films, so you can go, you know, buy your cassettes or your CDs, you know, in one store, and then you can buy your VHSs in another. So then you're like, you're collecting all this stuff. And I have a, you know, a huge library of things. And this didn't have, this did, hadn't happened, you know, prior to, to the eighties. Like, you know, you're not going to collect film reels, you know, or, or anything like that. So, um, it, it made it made collecting the media so much easier as well in the 80s. It was just so much more accessible and so much more affordable too. So, uh, yeah, it just, it just all happened together at the same time, I guess. And I think that's really something that brought kind of like the whole satanic panic thing at the, all that time to the fore as well because it seems to me that the more accessible this stuff got, the physical media nature of it, especially in regards to like, you know, you can rent stuff at a video store, like people talk about, Netflix now and all that. I, I I don't know why, but I just so much preferred back in the day when we could walk into a into a store and there's just sort of videos there and you see the artwork and everything as well. And you can bring it home. I just I just love that stuff. But that's a whole thing that, that I'm getting to. You're buying the stuff and you're bringing it into the home. And the home is supposed to be like this, like this solitude that kind of blocks out what our parents hope will block out any type of what they perceive to be negative influence. And then all of a sudden their children are bringing that into their home. They have the posters on the wall. They have the, the vinyl or CD collection. They have, you know, they're watching, you know, Evil Dead maybe or, or stuff like that. And how, how important do you think it is the whole physical media aspect of it? Because not only are you bringing the stuff home, but it's in itself, the packaging is itself a visual representation of, of the band. You have great artwork. You have great posters. You have, you know, Eddie uh, from the Iron Maiden, or you have the King Diamond stuff, or, or whatever it would be. That stuff is you can look at it any time. You can open up the liner notes. There's great artwork in there. How do you important anything that was as well? You kind of like how both of these kind of different, uh, succinctly different genres, but similar genres, kind of like tackled uh, the, the kind of visual approach and how that kind of melded together, um, kind of like as you as you present in your documentary. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know I, I feel bad for generations that came after you know after ours because they'll never know what it was like to really just you know know that a new album is coming out or or a new vhs or something and and you know once you get to the to the store it's going to be like there like you know unless it sells out like you're you know you rush to the store to get it and then like you have it in your hands like wow you know i finally got it i've been waiting all this time and you know, and then to have something in your hand where, you know, with, with the albums, you could look at the, the lyrics, you know, learn, learn the lyrics, you know, from the, from the booklets, look at the artwork, uh, VHS is, you know, kind of the same thing. It was cool to just have a copy of something, even if you're just renting it, going into a, you know, a, a, you know, a, a video store to just kind of see what just came out and just browse, look for stuff that you've never heard of before. But, uh, but the, you know, the cover looks cool. So you want to check it out and, and everything. So, you know, I, I do feel bad for for newer generations who will just never really understand that. So, and they don't really know what it's like, so they're not going to miss it. You know, in that sense. But I think that um, you know, like at least in my generation, I feel there was there was just a lot more stuff to appreciate in a different kind of way instead of just having everything just immediately at your fingertips. You know, on yeah. your phone or streaming on your TV, you just push a button and it's there. You know, I think there was a certain uh, you know a level of excitement that that people aren't going to have again in that sense. So, um, so yeah, so, so physical media, I think it still has a place for, for a lot of people. I think there are definitely, I mean, I still get people messaging me all the time. Hey, when's the DVD coming out? You yeah. Know, 
sometimes not even Blu-rays. Like I just, I said, hey, well, I can, you know, I might get the Blu-rays first. You know, do you want a Blu-ray? It's like, no, I just collect DVDs. So, you know, let me know when the DVDs out. So there, there are still people who just love to have uh, the hard copies, you know, the physical media, especially if you're at a convention and you want to get it signed by someone. So, that, mm. you know, you have to, you, know, you, you can't get a, a streaming song or, or, or a movie signed by anybody, by your favorite celebrity. It has to be physical. Yeah. So people still love collecting the, the movies or the albums and having that actual piece signed by by the creator so so i think there still will, will be a market for that it, it's just a little bit different in a sense but hopefully that won't be going away anytime soon speaking of uh when we can expect you know the history of metal and horror to be you know released to the masses i know you're doing a lot of kind of festival stuff right now the movies like that there i know here in australia we just had the uh, monster fest weekends and they were showing a movie here as well i think in new zealand um this weekend i believe they might be doing um some more monster fest weekend as well and you can see the movie there but what about any type of news regarding um uh, a digital or physical release anything like that uh, you have uh, you can share at the moment Yes, I'm working on that now. I've I've been over the past year, I've been doing the film festival circuit. So uh, that's been a great way to just meet a lot of people, get uh, make a lot of connections, get some ideas of how I wanted to release this. Ultimately, Uh, I've been approached by a couple of distribution companies. And for the most part, I haven't been too excited about their offers. A lot of them want uh, long term deals with very little guarantee as far as a payoff goes. So it's possible I might uh, retain some control and, and sell on my own and, and mm. maybe work with different companies, but it, it's in the works now. So it's, um, the wheels are in motion. Uh, I'm still listening to different offers to see what's going to be the best, the best deal. I think I'm pretty solid on what I'm going to do as far as the physical media goes. So that, that might be about maybe about eight to 10 weeks out to just, it's just going to take a little time for, uh, for the disc authoring and, and the duplications and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but but I think that I'm I'm getting ready to just make that that deal and get that going so that I know that in a couple of weeks it's going to be it's going to be out there and available. As far as streaming, I'm I'm still it's it's still on a couple of people's table, so they're they're looking at it and uh, again just kind of looking to get the best deal possible because uh, you know unfortunately there are a lot of desperate filmmakers out there who just want to get the first deal they get yeah. and just say, Oh, you know, here's, here's my movie, take the rights and do whatever you want with it. I just want it out there. I want to say that, you know, my movies you know, out there on DVD, Blu-ray and then streaming. But for me personally, I spent so many years on it. I really want to be happy with, with the deal that I get. So, um, so I'm taking my time with that. And, and I know that there are people who are just sort of you know, wondering and patiently, of course, everyone's been really great. Uh, but I know that they're, they're, waiting for this to finally get out there after all these years so i and i want to get it out there as soon as possible but um i just want to make sure i'm happy with with the decision i make because you know once you make a deal you're kind of locked into that for a certain amount of time so i don't want to have any regrets about doing something that i'm not ultimately happy with so but things are are in motion and um you know it's not one of these things where well i don't know it could be a couple of years before it's finally out there it's like no it's definitely you know, within the next uh, you know two months or so, it'll be available. Well, I can't wait for everyone to watch this when they can because I really loved the history of metal and horror. As a, a big fan of both, I was incredibly satisfied with what I watched, and I think 
you know, um, sometimes people can, can promise the world and, and give you nothing but a pile of dirt. But there's a treasure trove of riches here uh, for both my, my metal and horror sides. And for everyone out there, the history of metal and horror, uh, you can go to metalhorror.com uh, to find out information. You can also check out the Facebook page. I'm sure any type of news that you have, Mike, in regards to uh, releases and such, people can find there. And if anyone out there, if they, if they see this film prop up in a local festival or what have you, jump on it, watch the film. You will absolutely love it. I know that I did. And, Mike, I actually love, absolutely loved our conversation today as well. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's so nice to meet you. And, again, yeah, I love, I really love the documentary. As a diehard fan of both heavy metal and horror, I was very, so very happy uh, with what you presented and you did it in such a unique way as well, which I also uh, appreciate, considering all the movies that I watch every week. So that was, that was really cool, man. Thank you so much for your time and hopefully – uh, look, let, let me know when you get in news. I'll be happy to push it out there and let people know about it. And um, when you get another project, let me know as well. I'd love to watch that and talk about that as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the kind of words and, uh, and support. It definitely um, definitely makes it all worthwhile, you know, to to really create something that people appreciate to that extent. So thank you very much. Appreciate it.